The Power of a Good Heartfelt Story. We'll talk about that on this episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. I wish I was outside. Beautiful day out here. It's like summer out, and I'm thinking I should have a studio set up outside so I could do this from outside uh, on days like this. I hate being in the studio in the in the house. It's, uh, it's irking me because the weather is so nice. It's calling my name out there. Anyway, we have to be inside and we have to uh, have this program today and we have to meet another author. Man, I'm losing track of the authors we're talking to this week. Uh, I think uh, we have 14 authors in the span of eight days. <laughs> it's a lot of books to, to kind of keep up with a lot of authors, a lot of different genres. Uh, but today we were going to be talking about this is kind of interesting. Autism, we're going to be talking about animal communication and a possible link between the two. And uh, as you may know, I fall on the autism spectrum somewhere. Uh, so it's a, a, um, it's a topic that I'm very interested in and I'm also a huge animal lover and for years have been interested in uh, the possibility of animal communication, whether with primates or um, birds or <laughs> uh, dolphins and, and, and mammals of that kind. So uh, should be a very interesting talk. Uh, today's sponsor, sponsoring today's program is audiobooksnow.com. You know all about audiobooksnow.com. They've been with us on and off for almost a year now, and uh, glad to see they've been with us consistently for about a week now. Uh, audiobooks uh, now, uh, you know about audiobooks, right? You know how convenient they are, and you know you can get audiobooks just about anywhere on the web right now. So why audiobooksnow.com? Well, the answer is simple. Price point, price point, price point. Audiobooks Now Club pricing plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find. It offers a savings and flexibility not found anywhere else with their save on everything discounts, rollovers, exclusive offers, loyalty program, incredible selection, and cancel anytime policy. It simply cannot be beat. Plus, get a free premium audiobook on select titles when you click the link that's in the description. Start your 30-day free trial right now when you when you click that link. It's normal only $4.99 a month. It's absolutely free to try uh, for 30 days. If you're not happy anytime during that period, you just cancel. You won't be billed a penny. You can listen to a lot of books in 30 days. With audiobooks now, you save on every audiobook you purchase. They don't hide uh, the the true cost of a book with gimmicky credits or any any of that kind of stuff. Whether you want to save big through uh, the club pricing plan or simply purchase at their every low day prices, they offer one of the largest selections on audiobooks anywhere. You can download or stream your audiobooks through the website or free apps, and all their apps include in-app purchasing. Uh, link is in the description. I do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors. On to the program. Larry Center has always been uh, fascinated by the relationship between humans and animals. He is intrigued by the idea of language development in children and the power of animal communication, the possibility that perhaps there is a layer where they uh, both meet, perhaps there's more to communication than meets the ear. He has a degree in philosophy and tends to look at the world through a lens that questions the reality, its limits and boundaries. He's uh, 
authored a book called A Boy Like No Other. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Larry Center to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Larry, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned in uh, the intro there, I'm on the autism spectrum, is, and it's a pretty wide spectrum, and there are lots of people who have it to some degree. What What is uh, your relationship to that, and what, what got you interested in writing a book about that part of the story? Uh that's a good question. Actually, the the title is like no other boy. You kind of what did I say? You you said a boy like no other. Or something, See, but, yeah. that's 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 that that's part of my my <laughs> my challenge in life. But yeah. I'm sorry about that. Okay. That's fine. I was just <laughs> mildly correcting you on that. I, I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, the way I got it's a totally fictional story. It doesn't. There's no reality to it, but I got the idea that what if there was a autistic child who happened to be a savant in terms of primate communication, and what if there was a chimpanzee who was a savant in terms of communicating with humans, and what if the two got together and the primatologists would stand around and see what took place and I coupled it with a father who loves his child a lot and wants to see the boy come out of his shell and improve his life. He's eight years old, and the father takes the boy to the zoo, the San Diego Zoo one day, and the boy is acting very withdrawn and nothing gets his attention. Then he suddenly comes to the primate exhibit, and suddenly the boy goes, Wow, we, Daddy, this is, you know, he's just suddenly standing on his toes and and he comes to the chimpanzee exhibit and he starts actually communicating with the chimps right there in front of everybody and there's a crowd gathering around and people are ooing and on ah, he's kind of putting on a show as the he mimics the chimps and the chimps chimps mimic back so he's the father sees boy this this is something that i've never seen before so he is set on getting the boy in terms of teaching him a way to get in with chimpanzees. So he contacts a local primatology institute and attempts to, you know, open up his boy through primate contact, basically. Very different kind of book than anything we've talked about on this program before. And it's extremely interesting to me. But before we move on, I have to say there are so many great zoos in America. San Diego Zoo is my favorite of all. How did you happen to pick that one? <laughs> Lord, Lord uh, I just love the weather in San Diego. <laughs> and uh, I just always thought it seemed like a kind of a primate kind of place. but It's the best zoo in America. It definitely uh, is. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many you've been to. I've been to a lot of them. But, uh -huh. um, but uh, I've always been fascinated by this, too. And I would say that because you mentioned the word savant, I think uh, and I could be wrong in this because I'm not a, I'm not a scientist or anything, but having spent a lot of time looking at the autism, um, I don't want to call it a phenomenon, the autism condition, I think that every autistic person has, even if they have really severe, like 
off the charts uh, in communication, you know, communication problems and things like that. I think every autistic person has some level of genius that's hidden. So the word savant kind of makes it seem like it's an unusual thing. I think every single every single person who has autism has some form of hidden genius in them. Yeah. Uh, so that 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 intrigues me. Have you? Uh, have you seen any of that? You know, what, what got you interested in, in that part of making the connection between autism and the, the primate uh, communication? Well, um, the idea, like you were saying, uh, it seems to me like the brain, it gives in one area and takes away from another. So a, a child with autism, say, lacks social skills with humans, but in that sense would have a talent in another area. So that's how I kind of mixed it together to make it feasible. And if you look at, there's a lady named Temple Grandin. I don't know if you heard of her, but she is a, a real autistic adult who actually does have, I wouldn't call it psychic abilities, but she has developed these, uh, she can picture in her mind the way cattle react and she's developed these those ways of maneuvering cattle to being slaughtered in a systematic way so that they're not all nervous and they go through very calmly holy and, smokes and that's because of her uh empathy with cattle oh. and she's had a hard life being autistic you know people rejected her they laughed at her um, but she rose to the surface. She got a degree, and I forgot what her degree is in, but she's written some books. They made a movie about her, and she's a very interesting person. And so her life gives this a little bit of feasibility, even though this is totally fiction. But Yeah, I think it's got a lot of feasibility just from, from the start, but uh, because I've seen communication with primates especially chimpanzees and gorillas and orangutans uh but uh cattle is uh, surprising to me cattle are pretty dumb animals uh for the most part so uh, you don't we don't necessarily think of them as very communicative yeah Uh, well it's this this idea of picturing mental picturing that most of us don't have but but possibly because we don't uh practice it but for some people it's really true that, you know, mental picturing is a talent that some people just naturally have. And it seems to give them a certain understanding that we don't have. So, yeah, I had a guest on this program, Angie Byers, who, uh, Bryce, who I'm going to have to uh, refer to this conversation to because she uh, she is a psychic who talks to horses. <laughs> uh, among other animals, but right. she primarily deals with horses. So, uh, yeah, I'm familiar with, with that stuff. Is this your uh, first novel? I know you're working on others, but is this your very first novel? Yes. So uh, was being a novelist something on your radar from, from your whole life? Did you always want to be a novelist and write write the great American novel, or is this something that just came to you later in life? It kind of... I've always written short stories ever since I was like 12 and uh, but I never really tried any kind of commercial attempt. But then I got older and I looked around, I said, what am I going to do? What's going to what interests me? So I just I took up novel writing because I got bored of watching the TV shows at night. I said, I'm going to create my own TV show. So I just started 
you know, learning about novels, how to write them. And uh, this one's got pretty good success from what I, I've gotten, like 90 reviews on Amazon. And uh, I think 96% are either five or four stars. So it's people are really giving me good reviews on it. So I'm yeah. really grateful for that congratulations on that that's not easy by the way I, and i talk to a lot of authors most of the authors i have uh on the program have had some degree of success but i've had quite a few aspiring authors who've uh struggled to get nine reviews on amazon so 90 is a, yeah. is a big number congratulations on the first time out now you said you you, you kind of uh learn to write a novel what is your approach did did you have this story completely worked out in your mind and it was just a matter of typing it out or do you even type do you kind of transcribe stuff what is your approach in writing how does it work for you well this one i've written three other novels since and this novel it, i i kind of say it, it it actually happened it kind of unfolded before my eyes it's never happened since but it was kind of just handed to me in a way the whole story uh just kind of appeared and i wrote it basically it's just i can't explain it but i don't know something i, I seem to have an intuitional part of my brain is working to understand autism i've never really been around any children with autism but for some reason this intuitionally stimulated me and i was also you know, really fascinated by chimpanzees and putting the two together and what's it like to actually be with a chimp? You know, not very few of us really are able to spend time. Chimps, I try to bring out in the book how chimps are, you know, our oldest relative that, you know, show us the past. And I read, a, there's a book, I think his name is Ken Fouts. He wrote a book called Next of Ken. And he talks about how the chimpanzees are so close to us. And so I try to show that relationship to. Uh, well, I have to share this with my audience now, then, since you brought that up. It's a uh, the clip I'm about to show is ch a chimpanzee who was raised by two human parents and was at got, got too big and was given to a handler to take care of uh proper give the, the chimp proper care uh they come back to visit the chimp and here is the reaction uh, it's, it's it's really great Now he's crying there, and he's hiding his face to hide, hide his tears, like a human baby would do. It's it's just remarkable to me. It's it, and so that that's basically the whole clip. It's it's yeah, that's but right. it, it it definitely seems very close to human behavior there, especially when he puts his uh, a hand over his eyes to shield that doesn't want. He's embarrassed that he's crying and mm -hmm. emotional over it. I mean, to to see that behavior in an animal is really stunning. So. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be appropriate to show in this show. And uh, yeah, the more you dig into chimp, and I'm sure primatologists would agree that they show you things that you know they're not animals in the in the strict sense. They have they have a tremendous consciousness that is very close to humans, if not. <laughs> right. You know, they say. I mean, 
a two-year-old and a chimp is not there's not a whole lot of difference between right. <laughs> a two-year-old and a chimp so yeah um you had and and i think this is interesting i i believe if i have this correct you also write music correct yeah i've written songs uh-huh. i have so, because I bring this up because you say this novel, you you kind of intuited it, and and a lot of times in songwriting, that's the way it works. You're not really, you're just kind of being a receptor to a song that's out there and kind of uh, pulling it in from from the universe in some way, like you don't know where it came from. Right. And so, was did do you relate to that? And does that kind of sound like the experience that you had? Yeah, it, re- it really did. I just somehow pulled, I really don't know how I did it. It just pulled into me when I, when I got the idea, it just hit me like lightning and it took me 10 years to write the novel, you know, just rewriting, writing, rewriting, but I couldn't give up on it, you know, and I would send it out and get rejection letters and keep re, re- improving it. And, but it just kept, I couldn't stop writing it. it. Just I would not something. There are some things you just have to do, and this I was propelled. It was just the strangest thing. I've never been propelled like that before. And um, I've read I've read a lot of reviews, and I've gotten letters from people who have autistic children, and they're very uh, grateful that they read the they read the book because it's inspiring, and it's kind of like an advocate book for what it's like to raise an autistic child, how the difficulty level really puts you as a parent in a different league than the average parent. You're really in the, I call it in the book, I actually say that he's at the, at the world series level of fatherhood, you know, because things he goes through, it really takes a master father and a master mother to, to go through this. It's just not your basic, parental style no definitely and raising an autistic child is hard enough for a couple but for a single parent uh it's especially rough and it's also a little unusual and i don't want to give away the whole the whole story because i think a biggest part of the problem with with uh talking about books is sometimes like we talk too much about the story to the point where uh, there's no need to read the book anymore. So I want to keep away from that. But uh, the idea that a father fighting uh, for an autistic child for in, for custody of it, uh, it is a little unusual. We, you know, uh, most of the time they were just kind of quick to say, let's say let the mother take it and you know uh, mm-hmm. but so it's an unusual thing i have read their reviews and most of the people say uh it's a very emotionally moving uh moving piece who who is your is is your prime audience people who can relate because they have family members do you know i mean your the core audience who's responding to the book is people with experience with autism or is it the general public is it people who like uh general drama do you know who your audience is well it's it seems to be pretty much anybody i was surprised but i've gotten reviews from people who are single in their 20s males and females uh and then parents and parents of autistic children just it seems to reach people whether you are married or single or whether you have kids or not but mainly it it really hits i think the best if you have kids that you seem to be more attuned to it right from that standpoint but um 
Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting it, it, that a movie like this, uh, a, a book like this, would make a great movie be- mm-hmm. because it's very story based and doesn't. It's not a you know big effect or or any of that kind of stuff that you know big budget movie. It seemed like it would be easy to make a, a pure story. Of, although we don't see a lot of films being made that are pure story driven stuff anymore i think it would be a great great film have you tried to kind of pitch it as a film to anybody at any point well it was pitched to the studios through an agent and unfortunately they at that point this was a couple of years ago they they really it's kind of a low budget they're really interested in the you know blow them up uh, yeah, that's murder, what I mean. Things yeah. that really draw huge masses of people, and unless, the, from what I understand, unless you've written a best, like if if the book you know sold a million copies, then they would probably make a movie out of it. So gotcha. Yeah, I think we we run into a problem where people are uh, small minded in the uh, in in recognizing. Uh, great stories and so and they complain all the time that there's no you hear it all the time from people in the filmmaking industry that there's no real good ideas out there and when a good idea and a real good story comes along they fail to recognize it and so they go back to remaking uh king kong versus godzilla again it's like you know so i don't think we're we're, you know i think the film industry i don't think we're going to see quality stories happening for for a while anymore which is a shame but independence might might uh, aspire to to something like that. Yeah. So uh, it's a good time to uh, promo the book. Um, let me bring that in. I'm, where what happened over here? Okay, here's the book. It's called Like No Other Boy. I th- I forget what I said in the beginning. Like no a boy, like no other. I think yeah. I said uh, like like no other boy. Uh, and it's written by Larry Center, and it's available at authorlarryecenter.com. Author larryecenter.com all one word it, the link is in the description and it's scrolling across for the people on the visual side uh and i hope you will check it out now you've written three books since then have they been published yet no i'm still working on them you know i i'm i don't feel like i have to make it as perfect as i can before i want to release it so yeah um, and uh, I'm, I'm not under any deadline because i don't have like a contract that you know i got to do it within a year or something. So that's the beauty of it. I don't have to really, you know, drive myself crazy trying to get it done. What kind of stories are are they? They're, um, unfortunately, they're totally different. That's that's not unfortunate. I I like that. I think, although it's harder to gain like a a following sometimes if your work is too different but I think sometimes the business wants you to be or wants you to be the same every time so they they can package you like a McDonald's hamburger and say it's going to be the same every time you know what to expect I like when an artist a creative artist creative writer whatever uh, genre they're in medium we're in kind of branches out so please tell tell me about the types of stories you're writing Uh, well the they tend they go towards more of a humorous angle they're funny to me i'm hopefully they're that's the hard thing about humor it's you get into a lot of subjective opinions but (laughs) uh, one is called personal training and it's about a overweight ceo who has heart conditions and he gets assigned a personal trainer 
but she happens to be a Russian welterweight champion of the world. And she stalks him into good health and, you know, she won't let him go and it turns into a battle of wills because he's used to getting everything he wants and she gets everything she wants. And so it gets personal. So that sounds like an awesome story too. Great ideas, man. Uh, and, and so these are different kind of stories that, and believe me, I talk to authors every day, all year long, sometimes Mm -hmm. two a day. Uh, these are interesting things that interest me because usually I'm hearing about sci-fi fantasy romance fantasy romance all that kind of stuff and that's yeah. all good there's a there's a big audience for it yeah. but I'm like where are where are the cool ideas about interesting stories and character development uh that so that's a good one yeah. and and so uh, what are the other two well just just to say you know when I was growing up I never saw books as like categorized like there were there was just books, you know, you just read a book because you liked it. But now once you get into this commercial business, you see that it's been very pigeonholed into you have to write a romance or you have to me that's just really limiting to your creativity because it just it makes you it forces you into this little slot where I just can't be to me I would I could never just write a romance per se or something. I just so I don't know, that's just me, but Nah, uh, you know what? It, it, I agree with you. I'm totally uh, on that. Mm. I, I find romance stuff totally boring. And I, yeah. I, I, I'm very honest with the romance authors I have on here. But you're absolutely right. The business wants to put you in a box. But most people I talk to, if they're in the genre, in a box like that, romance or sci-fi or whatever it is, they they are very happy staying in that zone that and yeah. writing the same thing all over. Uh, for me, I would I would be extremely bored by that. But yeah, but it satisfies a lot of people because a lot of people read it. So you know, uh, and I as a musician and songwriter, I come from the same angle as I, you know people. I hate the question, "What kind of music do you play?" Because if people come up to me and say, "What kind of music do you play?" I could go, I could go on for hours saying how many different kinds of music I play, and I always want to say, "Why don't you listen to it?" And at the end of the show, you come up and tell me what kind of music I play. Because right. uh, I mean, it's one thing to say country folk, rock, pop, jazz, uh, <laughs> blues. I mean, you can go on and on, but you know, after a while, the labels become meaningless. It's all uh a, a different expression of what i'm feeling at at whatever period of time that i wrote the song so right uh what about you, your music are do you are you do you feel the same way do you write a, a bunch of different styles or are you basically you know, i mainly write country music i just kind of now when you into that. when you say country do you mean the country that I like? I'm talking George Jones, or Willie Nelson, Will, Will and Jennings, Johnny yeah. Cash. Uh, yeah, that stuff or or the stuff we hear today on the radio, which well, does not sound like country the, music. The stuff that was done, you know, George Jones and all that is just, that's that to me is real country. That, that unfortunately, that has gone. It will <laughs> never be that again. It was just one of those eras that today, uh, you know, everybody, of course, you want to write, what's going on today but it's i don't really like the stuff that's going on today it's too slick it's too you know too canned it doesn't have the soul of real real old authentic country music where you no it's not trying to be country i think i think it's it's trying to be pop and that there i said i made this observation a few years ago so it's probably dated now but i was here when i was hearing on the radio sounded like 
80s hair metal music with a country singer on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that that's what it all sounded like. Now mm-hmm. in bro country and all that stuff, they're trying to mix in hip hop flavors and all that stuff. It's just right. like that has, and I I'm not against that music, but it has no place in country music. And I think you know it killed the kind of music we were talking about. You know yeah. the all all time country music. Right. Are you a lyrics first guy or a, a music first guy? I do both. Yeah. But um. Unfortunately, that, like I said, that, you know, the audience for that is very, unfortunately, they're dying out. You know, they're, they're not there anymore. I don't know. We play, uh, like, last weekend, we played um, a bunch of old songs. I played, um, I don't know if you know, Swinging Doors, uh, Merle, Travis, uh, Merle, Merle Haggard, and played uh, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys in a, yeah. in a, in a place. And the, the response was very loud and, and, and you know, uh very um people were into it and so i and they weren't old people they you know they weren't people my age they were a lot younger yeah. than me so hopefully that that music will still be around for a while yeah. um so uh when when you're moving forward uh are the, you still writing prolifically are you are working on these uh, and you're working on three books at one time is that what i have right now what? Well, right. I just work on one till it bores me. Then I go to the next one, you know, and right. just kind of the, the other one I'm working on is called cat wants out. And it's about a, a, a 38 year old woman who goes to a luxurious health club for the first time. And she has a panic disorder and she gets fired and dumped by her boyfriend in the span of an hour. It sends her into a, panic attack and she finds that she can't leave the club because she's too scared of the outside world so she ends up surreptitiously spending the night on massage tables and yoga mats and uh avoiding nosy security guards and until she can figure out how to escape it's called cat wants out so i think i'm recognizing a theme in your work here larry yeah uh, it's that you know when the shit hits the fan, it hits the fan big time for for your characters. Yeah. <laughs> is that does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, I try to write something that's impactful. In some yeah, sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, Be- because the the main protagonist in, in in the book we were just talking about, and don't let me get the title wrong again. Like no other boy, I always I want to say boy like no other, like <laughs> no other boy. The protagonist, the father in that character, has a similar. Uh, everything is hitting the fan at once type. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. um character development it's it seems the way you are describing these characters it seems like it's too real for it to be just made up are you drawing from people you know and and i, I know i know that can be uncomfortable because you don't want to <laughs> embarrass anybody but are you are, are drawing from people you know in real life where, where do these rich characters come from i mean a woman with the panic attacks and all that stuff um sounds like you you know that person somewhere along the line or had to have known someone like that well i do i do know someone with a panic disorder so i've incorporated that and you know i was just like coming out of a health club one day and i was just thinking what would happen if you just stayed there overnight you know where everybody's gone it'd be kind of cool you got it all to yourself yeah and so but yeah i just kind of draw little bits from different people and put it in there and uh but i I tend to write 
where I get my imagination going and it just seems to seem realistic. I, I do a, I'm a good liar, I guess you would call it. So <laughs> people, this, this novel, like no other boy, everybody has said, is this a memoir? Did this really happen? You know, they really think it's writing, it's written as a memoir, but it's not, it's fiction. So. Yeah, it definitely comes off that way as, as a, at least reality based, if not a memoir, at least somewhat reality based. Mm-hmm. And again, it seems like, you know, these characters too well for it to be completely made up, which is either an extreme compliment to your imagination or, or just me putting too much on how much, how I would go about writing that kind of book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what did you just say now that, that I wanted to respond to? Damn it. I hate when that, the idea was uh, uh, in my head and I, I just lost it that quickly. Um, but so the, the first book is you intuited. Now the second books and, and, and from there on, are you uh, more of a plotter? Did you, did it work more like where you thought out the story, drew out an outline and did the typical uh, approach at writing a book or, or um, were those also just like came to you? No, these had, these were more plotted out in, you know, a logical format that I'd have to, you know, reason through, it didn't, it didn't come to me at all. So it's a lot harder. And, um, I'm, I don't know, you know, how good they are really, but I'm enjoying writing them. So we'll have to see if I get much, re- what the response will be, but they're, di- they're different type of story, but it did, it does come. I enjoy writing them, but they are harder to write because it didn't just come to me. So interesting to hear you say i don't know how good they are because i uh, i've been writing songs for 65 years uh <laughs> 60 60 years uh and i still question every single song i'm not sure how good it is and i'm wondering i'm wondering how how universal that is how many how many successful people successful writers creators of, of, in any medium still question their work every time they do it after it after any period of time and saying, I wonder if I should put this out there. I wonder if it's good enough. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, this, the doubt is huge, you know, cause you, you got to spend two or three years on something that you have no idea. You could be writing yourself in a corner that, that turns out to be really not good. And just as easily as you could write something good. It's yeah. It's just well, hard. Well, I, Again, you, you kind of, uh, that statement kind of uh, talks to a thing that we've been talking about a lot with the authors on this week is that you can't write for uh, how the audience is going to receive it. You have to write it for yourself and and try to uh, entertain and, and write a book or write a piece that you are going to like and then uh, let the audience kind of be a barometer and that post wise but while you're writing it you have to really kind of kind of concentrate on what would i like to read right yeah yeah i mean i feel like i'm an average person i've grown up with all the average american senses of what's funny you know like seinfeld and we've all seen the same humor and you know so i'm hoping that if it appeals to me as an average person it will appeal to other people but you know, not always. So right, well, it's a subjective thing. I, I deal with comedians as much as I do with authors, and so there, there is an audience for every kind of comedy out there. And uh, every day, I come across people who 
don't think that guy's funny, but every uh, a lot, but that guy has a huge following who mm-hmm. do, do think he's funny. Lots and lots of that. I mean, everywhere I look in the co- comedy world, we see people who have a big following, a, a, a an audience for what they do, and people who hate them and don't think they're funny and don't get them what the, at all. So, right. yeah, it's, comedy is completely subjective. And, 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 and when you read the reviews on Amazon, like when you go to the the bestsellers and you'll see a lot of negative reviews plus the five stars. You'll see one stars and right opposing views. You know, this is the worst book I've ever read versus <laughs> this is the greatest book I've ever read. It's amazing. I can't, you know, Yeah, at some point, uh, and I say this all the time because uh, I can get 16 million people say that was great. And one person say, ah, it was awful. And I'll, the person who said that was awful is the one that's going to stab me and, and keep me up at night and haunt me. And, and so at some point, and a lot of successful people have given me this advice. I haven't taken it yet, but I'm, I want to, I need to have somebody else read the reviews and only feed me the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> Not listen to the bad ones. Well, I got one review on goodreads she gave me a one star because she said i used the f word so that kind of thing it doesn't you know sorry yeah yeah (laughs) you you can't that's just well uh, i can relate because the uh, the reason (laughs) the reason i got kicked off a radio (laughs) 35 (laughs) years ago was because i used the f word we didn't have a seven second delay working and i used the f word on the air and the fcc kind of Oh, wow. uh, ended my radio career because <laughs> I was on AM radio in this is 1989, 1990, whatever. And so it was at a different time where if you want F bomb is all you needed to kind of. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've had authors come on the program who've heard me uh, say some, some, you know, profanity on this show before and wrote, written to me and said, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard, I've heard you talking trash and potty mouth on the, on the show. I'm not sure if it's right for me. <laughs> and I'd say, well, I don't have to curse. I don't have to, I don't have to be profane. I do it when I, I have comedians on or I, I know people can take it, but I, I mean, I can, <laughs> I can be, communicate without, without using profanity. <laughs> yeah. Well, this novel does seem to, I've gotten from, two reviews and one was offended because I used, you know, bad language. And then the other one was offended because I went against the Christian doctrine of against creationism versus evolution. So that kind of thing bothered somebody. So, you know, that's interesting because, uh, I've had an evolutionary biologist on this program, and I talk about this every t- every chance I can't with people who are uh, think that we have to be on one side of the fence or the other with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah, uh, evolution and creation are necessarily mutually exclusive. I think you can make a case that, and I'm not making this case necessarily, but I think you can make a case that God created the system to evolve in a way that he planned because evolution and the evolutionary biologist I had on, I asked him this question. I said, it seems like evolution is a design system with an intelligent idea and a, a, a system that was planned out by a higher mm-hmm. intelligence. And he couldn't deny it, it does ha- produce remarkable uh, results for something that just happened by accident. And he said, no, I, and he said, no, I agree with you. It does seem like it's in, 
designed intelligently. So there you go. That's yeah. the argument to that person who's saying, you know, you, you're going against the, the doctrine. Not necessarily. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, there has to be the idea before there's the reality, you know, somewhere. I mean, that's what Plato said, that, you know, ideas exist. And then Aristotle came along to quantify things and, you know, make it into a logical process but first you have to have the idea which is it's the part of the brain that's the human brain we have both the idea and we have the action so it's it's all you know anything's possible i guess if you think about it long enough <laughs> well that's my my conundrum here uh and i know you have a, a degree in philosophy which it it's it, um it's an unusual degree to get in philosophy, right? Because uh, yeah. what kind of job it doesn't qualify you for? <laughs> well, I was that's the thing. I was going to – I got the degree, and I was going to open up a philosophy shop, but I went to the banker, and he was a existentialist, so he wouldn't give me a loan. But... <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good line for stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so uh, because I I like to think heavy and I like to think uh, of big ideas and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, at some point we all need to kind of survive and make a buck. And like right. a degree like that, I was and just like my degree. I mean, I went for journalism. I got a degree in journalism. I never uh, I was never a journalist unless you count this as being a journalist. And I certainly don't. Uh, but uh, the ideas that that you have uh what what's your big outlook on reality my big outlook on reality is uh it's there yeah. <laughs> but i really don't i don't profess to have any answers to you know cause and effect and i mean i think my basic belief right now i'm always changing is that you're going to have to wait till you die to find out the real ish the real answers so yeah, not, it's that, not not going to happen till then. That's my belief right now. So, and it might not even happen then, which is which is scary to me. I mean, we want to know. We want to know the answer. Yeah. But the reason I, I say it's a conundrum for me is because I have people on here. I talk to people with all sorts of beliefs about uh, reality and the nature of existence and consciousness and all that kind of stuff. So many different ideas and. I try to be a skeptic rather than a cynic and, and say, question everything, but don't, don't rule anything out. Like, and then you said anything possible. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to, I think even being a, a committed skeptic rather than a cynic, I have to draw the line someplace. And my litmus test usually is the Easter bunny. <laughs> yeah. Like when I have psychics on, when I have people who have uh, uh, be beliefs that uh, are kind of out there for me, I ask them, is there anything that you won't believe in? Because generally, if, if somebody is a psychic, they'll believe in UFOs, they'll believe in Bigfoot, they'll believe in uh, quantum theory, quantum, you know, parallel universes and multiverses and simulation theory and all these things. Like, all at once, it's like, is there anything you won't, you'll, you'll rule out immediately? And when they say no, I bring up the Easter Bunny. <laughs> and most of them will say, well, you have to admit, you have to you concede that at some point there's probably a truth that that myth is based on. And that's when I have to close my mind. I say, no, right. no, there was no bunny driving or walking around the countryside with chocolate eggs. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, so, you have to yeah. draw the line somewhere. 
I think so, right? Yeah. I mean, in, in my novel, I kind of approach uh, a question: What is the meaning of life? And and the father of the boy has a has his own father, who he deals with. He's a grumpy old man, and he uh, kind of leads him into a. I won't tell the story, but he gives him some. By the end of the novel, you feel like you've gotten a certain understanding about the meaning of life. I'll just put it like that. Wow. So, now I have to get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Well, that's a good one. And, 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 you know, I love that kind of stuff where you feel enlightened about, again, I mean, this is so different to most of the authors we have on. And I talk to so many authors. Mm-hmm. I, why do you think it, uh, that it is that people shy away from deep emotional stories like this? I really don't know. It's it's really when I wrote it, I really didn't realize how emotional it was. But I, having read it, I wrote I read it about six months ago just to reread it. And I, by the time chapter two, I'm going, wow, this is really hard to get through. It's so emotional when you see the problems that an autistic child is going through. It's I've had people tell me that by chapter two, I'm just sobbing. I can't stop. People have to put it down. They can't even get. They'll finish it, but they can't. They can only take like a chapter at a time, <laughs> and they're because they're weeping so much. But it's that's it's, the best review you could hope for, man. In yeah. my in my view, I mean, I don't know, and everybody has different tastes, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so, what does the future look like for you? Are you, are you uh, I know you're working on these novels. Do you have any kind of uh, like idea when you'd like to get them out, or any of that, or are you just kind of taking it day by day? I'm just taking it day by day. I'm I'm hoping to get one out, you know, probably in six months if it's if it meets all the requirements. But right. it has to be just perfect. How involved that. how involved are you with the production of the book? I mean like book cover design, uh all that kind of stuff and the marketing of the book. Are are you heavily or do you have somebody doing that for you? I really well the the design of the book, I had a company do that for me. And um Marketing, I have uh, somebody who helps me with the marketing of it because I don't really know that much about it. So, um, yeah. that's that's the job that you know. Once you write a book, and writing is the is is the process of writing is the fun part, and then you put it together, and then you realize if this uh, if I want anybody to read this, I got to be in the business, and being in the business sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I had the dream of like, you know, writing the book and so everybody else takes care of that. And then you just see the money coming in and you write your next book. And yeah. I guess there are some people who can do, who actually are doing that. It's, you know, the big, big authors who write the big, you know, well, they start out the way you do. You're doing it though, Larry. They start mm-hmm. out like you're doing it. And then when they get some success, the big publishing houses notice and then they, they eventually get signed. But I think a lot of people who get into it had the idea that you just talked about, like, I'm just going to write it and somebody else is going to do all the work. Yeah. And then they get frustrated and disappointed when they find out about the reality of starting off is not that. Well, it's, and, it's hard to. The marketing part is really difficult. 
I know. Well, that's what we're here to kind of get you some exposure. That's yeah. what that's what we're doing here today. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, people will, will check it out. We will definitely have a big audience to listen to the audio podcast on on this, and we'll probably have within a month probably a hundred thousand listeners to this wow. podcast. So hopefully, they will go and check out your book and give it a chance. And people who are hungry for story driven books rather than you know, action event driven books, Mm -hmm. this will definitely appeal to you. Uh, I think one of the important parts though, it really people as well as the business people like to know, uh, they want to know, they want to put a label on it. They want that genre information. And I can't, I can't imagine what genre this falls into. Can you, (laughs) is, is, uh, I mean, it's it's like a Hallmark <laughs> type of type of uh, yeah. feel good family book. I don't know. I, I, you well, know. what seems to be lately, uh, I'm kind of going with psychological literary fiction. <laughs> okay, so, but it's not a it's not a real you know. Yeah, that doesn't really. Sport. Right, and that doesn't really roll off the tongue like uh, right. for, for most people. Wait, what did he say? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, it's hard enough for me to get the title of the book right. Which, right. One more time, I'm, I'm going to show the book and get it right. Like no other boy. Why do I want to say a boy like no other man? It's, it's like in the back of my brain triggering me to say that. Like no other boy. It's by Larry Center, uh, and you'll find it at authorlarryecenter.com. Link is in the description. I do appreciate you giving a chance and support Larry. And, and um, you know what? Uh, to, this goes out to the audience now. It, you know, I tried to... to if this if this is the kind of content that you're interested in, you have to support it because if you don't, we're seeing what the business develop away from this kind of stuff. And if if you don't support it, it's not going to be there for a while. So it's it's important to support authors like Larry who are coming up with unique and interesting new ideas, story story form. Thanks um, so much. Yeah. Oh, I do wish you great success, and I thank you for coming today. Is there anything uh, we left on the table, anything I, I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, probably. I, th- I really think you got pretty much the whole kit and caboodle there. So Cool. Uh, well, I, I appreciate getting to know you, and if you ever want to talk music, I mean, uh, I lo- I'd love to talk music with you, especially old-time country music. I love right. that. Love that. It. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks for coming. Have a great day. Have thanks a great so day. Much. And, and continued success, my friend. Thank Bye. you. Larry Center, folks. Uh, the links are in the description. I hope you will patronize them and uh, uh, check out the book. Sounds like a, a great, great story, one that I'm really interested in for a number of reasons. I mean, I connect with this story uh, on the level of the autistic child. I connect to the story on the level of animal communication. And I also connect to the story as a father uh, who went through a divorce. So, it, and, and also as somebody who's looking, always interested in discovering the true meaning of life. So this book has everything for me. And it, it sounds like if, if that sounds interesting to you and it's got everything for you too, give it a chance, check it out. That's the show for today. Tonight I'll be back with Sam Talent, the fabulous comedian, author of Running the Light. That's an easy one to remember. Running the Light uh, is his book. It's now out on audiobook as well. Uh, and uh, today is 420 and, and Sam's a big uh, token, token if you got him guy. So we'll be talking about 
<laughs> we'll be talking about that a bit. Anyway, uh, that's 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. I hope you'll join me then. Until then, I'm Matt Apple from the Mind Up TV Podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. Goodbye for now.
Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 